welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Well, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Mike Dowdy, VP Sales, Service Production at Technip FMC. Mike, how you doing today, buddy? Pretty good, man. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, round two for you. So yep. he got his and now he's a professional <laughs> oil and gas podcaster. So, yeah. you know, this would be a good one. And it's a funny you mentioned, because there's not really many of us out there. No, and uh, not at all. I literally searched after I did the first podcast yesterday, yeah. the interview, and no, there, I think there's like half a dozen or so maybe. Good deal. So yesterday you did another podcast. Tell us a little bit about so that. Yeah, that was the OGGN pitch podcast. Yep. And it's a bit more formal. It was a it was basically an interview and it's about our launched eye production solutions that we're trying to enter into the marketplace. And so nice. it was good. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll chat a little bit about that. But before we get going, I want to give the listeners a little bit of background. So Mike's an experienced sales executive with demonstrated history and commercial proficiency in oil and gas industry. His journey began back as a floor hand back in 2011, which I can identify with as a former rig hand myself and worked his way up to his current role as a vice president. So He's a U of H graduate and is currently attending Texas A&M Mays Business Schools for an executive MBA. So, man, I got to say you're crushing it. That's a pretty solid background, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I started off ground up. My old man, I'm third generation. Okay, so nice. from my old, Texas? Yeah, from Texas. Yeah. yeah, grandfather was a Amico, then BP Amico, finance and accounting. So not so much in operations. Dad was vice president, senior vice president of engineering for Rowan Drilling, yeah, which was then merged or acquired by who did they merge with? It's Valeris now as the current company. Okay, yeah. So, but yeah, that's why I started really on the rig floor was to gain some experience. And man, I don't envy those people. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I started on a land rig, a box on box, no automated equipment whatsoever. Nice. You know, in the middle of a summer in South Louisiana. It okay. Was, it was a, a ton of fun. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess it depends how you define fun, which is funny because you think back in 2011, like it's not that long ago. No. And even back then, a lot of the stuff wasn't automated. I mean, when I was, so I started with precision drilling in 2004 and we didn't have a top drive. Everything was manual. Yep. I mean, we didn't have an automated catwalk. None of that. Like, so, you know, so again, it was, and that was early 2000s, but you know, it was a big deal when we got a top drive. Right. And it's crazy to think. And then I worked offshore. I was on a diamond offshore yep. rig yep. and they actually didn't even have an auto driller. And that right. was in like 2013. So right. it's like, you know, as cool as, as some of the things have happened over the course of the last few years, like we're still, in my opinion, in the infancy stage for a lot of technology. I totally agree. Which, yeah. I mean, for you guys as Technip FMC, 
for anyone out there who either knows a company or who follows them on LinkedIn, you guys are releasing some cool videos on yep. some of the neat stuff that you guys are deploying right now. So it, it's cool to see the evolution of technology and we're here to ride the wave. Right. Yeah. I really think in the last decade, almost, it's really been the most significant in terms of evolution and and the way that we've progressed with technology. I mean, I would actually look at it as drilling kind of was the on the forefront, you know, when mm-hmm. we went to the automated rigs, when we went to those auto drillers. And I think completions and the frack crews and the way that they're stimulating unconventionals in North America now has followed that suit. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with production now. So very cool. Uh, but it's been somewhat of a sequential kind of evolution. I was not afforded that opportunity to work on those, you know, automated rigs. I worked on a <laughs> that tough land rig in South Louisiana. And then I went offshore as well. So yeah, good deal, yeah. man. What was your, do you have any memories of being on a rig? I mean, like as a roughneck or floor hand, I mean, anything stand out that kind of like gave you a badge of honor? Yeah. You know, so we just, it was tough, man. It was a 26,000, 26, five straight vertical. Well, I remember literally for an entire hitch, we went through a salt dome. We lost two BHAs. I think one was covered by insurance, one wasn't. (laughs) Uh, I mean, so it was, you know, it was a mess and it was really, really tough. But at the same time, I learned, I probably learned more in that six, nine months than I had in any other, you know, intense operational role. Right. Yeah. And then I just kind of expanded on that when I went offshore, but from a drilling process standpoint, which is where it all begins in terms of spudding a well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where it all starts. Yeah. It was just, it was an awesome experience. It was very hard work. Yeah. Very hard work. How does that for you translate in your day to day? I mean, you're obviously on the production side, but having that sort of hands-on experience, do you think it offered you a little bit of credibility when going to you up into the office? For sure. I mean, I think honestly, that's really what I tell people that I recruit now, right? So in this last role that I'm in currently, the six months that I've been in this role, previous to this, I was in drilling and completions for former FMC, Mm. legacy FMC, and then Technip FMC. But how I was able to transition into both the sales role at Cameron, sales role at FMC was because I started in the field. For sure. I I mean, I tell everybody that wants to graduate college with a business degree or marketing, so whatever, in any really good, credible university, and then right into sales, they just don't know what they're talking about, right? And so to cut your teeth, I think, yeah. and I can I can vouch for that because this is, I really believe that's why I am where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you really do in this industry need to learn from the ground up, even if it's in an expedited format or timeline. Yeah. But from a credibility standpoint, personally, I find it hard to recruit or to hire in a very credible sales individual who doesn't have that field experience. So I personally think it's really, really important. Yeah. And I do attribute a lot of the achievements that I've had to that. Certainly. So with the company that you work with, Technic, Technip FMC, is there, because I know a lot of operators and because and my customers are all operators, similarly to yourself, they have sort of a, a programs in place for where in like, say, petroleum engineer graduates come on board, they have a rotational deal where they send them out to the field and they're company men, you know, right. doing that. Is that. Do you guys have similar things or how, what does that look so like? So we do, but it's very... You know, obviously with the cyclical nature we've been through in the last five years, yeah. um, there's disruptions in those types of programs. We have had in the past a very strong competency and, and learning matrix and organization. In fact, we called it FMCTU or FMC University. Cool. Right. So it was definitely a part and still is a part of our core foundational beliefs. But, you know, 
as far as a formal plan and process, that's definitely something we should we should look at and work on. Uh, sure. Because, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, at Cameron, NOV, a lot of the operators, they have those types of rotational deals. And so I think the most important thing, though, is just that whether you are a part of a program like that through the organization you want to work with or do work with, or you want to take it upon yourself to do that, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the differentiators as an individual, yeah. as a person, is that if you have that educational background and experience, you've got the degree, or even if you don't, and you have the acumen to move into the office, right? You have a little bit of savviness when it comes to deals and business to business type of relationships and sales. Mm -hmm. I think if you have that field experience, you're far more credible than someone who doesn't. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's super important whether you take it upon yourself to do that type of it and you plan that out or there is a program within the company that you work with. I think it's really important to take part in that. Yeah, you bet. And speaking, you know, from a personal experience, just the level of confidence that that my I have and, and even a lot of the salesmen that I have that I work with, we are ex either rig hands or mud engineers. Exactly. And, and the, the level of confidence when you go in and talk to a customer about coming up with a solution to a potential problem. Right. I mean, they can smell BS a mile away. They really can. And, and, and so if you heard of something from somebody that, you know, and, and granted, you know, I don't have 25 years of field experience, but I have enough to at least have an understanding conceptually of what's going on. Right. And it, I may have not had firsthand experience with that specific you know, system or whatever the case may be, but just having that level of understanding and rig operations, I mean, goes a long way. So before we keep going, I actually want to take a minute to highlight some neat technology that's provided by Technip FMC, who's the new sponsor of Oil & Gas Onshore. After their first successful installation, they're excited to announce the official launch of iProduction, the future of onshore integrated production. iProduction is an onshore integrated and digitalized approach to the upfront planning, design, installation, and optimization of process and measurement systems from the wellhead to the point of sale. There's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more, and we're going to discuss it a little bit down the line. But let's get a little bit away from business, man. I'm curious, how's life post-quarantine, man? You're out and about, you're at the office. Like, how does it feel normal again? Or yeah, what? not quite. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. You know, I'm very blessed and fortunate to still be working, really, to be honest. For uh, sure, right? And I know there's a lot of brothers and sisters out there that aren't. And so... Post quarantine, I think we'll slowly get back to the to normalcy. Yeah, uh, you know, I think some of us with kids, at least, we'll we'll see that whenever school starts back up, hopefully. Yeah, you know, but no, there's no one at the office. I was at our our campus over in Humble, our Grimp campus. Okay, uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week. Yeah, I think I saw a total of 15 people between the two. You know, 16 <laughs> oh, hour, man. 16 hours total. I was there. Yeah, and then today I didn't see a single person. So okay, uh, yeah, wow. at, our, at our corporate office. Yeah. Um, and that's the one here on I-10? That's it? it, yeah. Okay. Our towers. Yeah. 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 So, no, it's just weird. You know, I think you got to you gotta try and progress back into it at your own pace. For sure. I'm pretty healthy. I stay pretty active. I was never really worried or too worried personally about, you know, getting sick. But obviously, it's a real deal. Um, yeah. So, we have corporate policies and procedures that we have mandated that, you know, we have to adhere to. Mm -hmm. And so, we're doing that. And I'm doing that as I go into these facilities. But I think it's important, you know, as leadership, you just, you try and kind of, you know, get back into it as, again, as you can and what's realistic and makes sense. But no, it's just, it's been crazy, man. It's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's a, been a really weird deal. Right. Um, <laughs> and I think as soon as we can, and that's, you know, that's a prior to everything that's going on in the country right now with respect to George Floyd and the tragic events there. So it's sure. just, uh, 
It's been a really strange time. It has, man. It's like everything's compounded and it all has happened at once. And and the ironic thing is, is I'm, so I recently became an American citizen. I'm from Canada originally. And, you know, coming from the outside in and seeing all this happen. And then with the election coming up, it's like, it's blowing me away with, with how much shenanigans going on now. Granted, the whole entire planet has been affected by COVID and, and now the big movement that we're, you know, experiencing with regards to, you know, the event that took place with George Floyd. But yeah, it's very odd that everything kind of just happened to align. And then of course the supply and demand dismantling of, it's just like a triple black swan event. it's, It's absolutely crazy, but getting back into, you know, quote unquote normalcy, at least for myself, it's been nice, man. Like, you know, I went, I had drinks with a customer last night and had some dinner and, and, you know, went for breakfast the other day. And it's, it's nice to be able to do those kind of things. And today, or was it? Yeah. Yesterday was the first time I went to a restaurant where the lady who was serving us actually wasn't wearing a mask. And so I was like, like, okay, like things are slowly starting to come around there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was nice, you know, just catch up with again, a good customer and and be able to have that human interaction. And so I think, you know, we all look forward to the day when we can go back to doing the, the trade events and, you know, the, the shoots and the shows and things like that. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a big perk to the the industry as a whole and the position that we're in and in commercial sales and stuff. So, yeah. But those relationships, man, we've had to adapt and, you know, we see each other on the computer screen now as opposed to in person or over <laughs> yeah. lunch or coffee or whatever. And it's strange, but I think we've adapted really well, honestly. Yeah. Almost all the coworkers and even customers that I talk to, everyone has this similar feeling and sentiment that they're all almost working more than they were before. Yes. Um, I, I think it's because we all are acknowledging now that you don't have two hours worth of drive time. <laughs> yeah, every there's day. no, there's no traffic. Right. Yeah. So you can literally wake up and you can be on a call at seven, no problem, and don't have to be in the office. Yeah. And you can do the same thing at 7 p.m. <laughs> right. So, no, I mean, again, we're those that are still working and we're blessed. And you no, know, we just hope that. Q1, man, in January, we get back to a really stable demand type of scenario in the market. We can all get back to work as as normal as possible. Yeah, no kidding. I know everyone's eager to have that happen. And and yeah, just like I think once everyone goes back to work and we start slowly start seeing that demand go up as long as we don't flood the market right away. Yeah. when there's a little bit of a, a gap there, then hopefully we'll be okay. But yeah, so with you know, aside from that, so you said you're from your family's from Texas originally, right? Yeah. So I was actually born here in Houston. Okay. Like, I grew up in East Texas though. So okay. Longview, Kil- yeah, yeah. Kilgore area. Yeah. Haynesville Shale, mm-hmm. old Cotton Valley, mm-hmm. very old oil field there. I would say 60, 70, maybe even 90% of the people I graduated high school with are in the oil field or some sort of sector within the industry. Yeah. And so it was just, again, being third generation, my dad worked for Laterno manufacturing up there, which actually manufactured a lot of the jackup rigs and land rigs back in the day for, for Rowan and other companies. Insco was another procurer of those types of rigs, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, rural type of community, definitely not like the Houston um, <laughs> yeah. environment and, you know, got to ride dirt bikes and four wheelers outside growing up and, nice. you know, cause trouble out in the woods instead yeah. of in the city yeah. or the suburbs. But yeah, so the industry up there is very heavily reliant upon oil and gas. And so everybody that I still go back home and and hang out with and talk to, we all speak the lingo and talk the language and know a lot of the same customers and have a lot of relationships within the market up there. Yeah. So growing up, you said you're, you know, dirt biking, four wheeling. I mean, 
you just like to have fun and get after it? Outdoors, like, what were you man. like as a kid? It's, it's all outdoors. Yeah. yeah. No, sports and hunting and yeah, nice. everything outdoors for sure. That's good. I'm huge into, huge into sports still. I don't really watch TV unless it's a game. Right. Uh, of some sort. And now golf, which is the only thing that started back up. So <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a great place to to live and to raise a family for sure. Excellent. So you, you mentioned the Haynesville and I keep hearing a lot of buzz around, you know, some quite a few folks are bullish on gas long yeah. term. You know, I know there's some customers that I've even been talking to that are slowly getting, you know, not necessarily ramping up back up, but the percentage of rig drop up in the Haynesville and even the Marcellus. I was quite a bit less than the Permian, you know, Eagleford, yep. Rockies. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Like, you, you know, it's, think? it's, it's odd. They seem to continue to be, especially the Haynesville continues to be this outlier, right? Yeah. I mean, even in like a 15, 16, it still seemed to be a bit against the grain. I don't know the answer. I'm guessing it has something to do with proximity to the refineries being on the coast. That probably has something to do with it infrastructurally, you know, they don't have that same type of proximity in the Marcellus, right, right. from a gas play. But Haynesville in the greater East Texas, Northwest Louisiana sector in general has always been a bit more resilient. That's a very, very tight knit market up there. Yeah. It's really hard to get into if you haven't been there for a long time. I know that from experience. Yeah, I'm going through it now. And and if you have been there for a long time, I'm sure my buddies will hear this on the on the podcast. I mean, they really they kind of have it sewed up. They yeah. don't really need your help. They don't really want your help. You right. know. And so proportionately though, no, they have been less in terms of percentage and rig drop as compared to like the Eagleford or the Permian. Yep. So I don't know. I think it probably speaks to the economics and the the proximity and then the community and the way that they run their their business and their industry up there. It just seems to be that they don't have as much significant drop as other regions. Yeah. It's a play that, that certainly kind of, it doesn't have necessarily the sex appeal that a lot of other ones no. do, but it's a little more sustainable from yeah. a gas play than, than a lot of other ones. Those so. are really, you know, historically, those are in the Haynesville, those are really hot wells. Those, yeah. are, those are, I've heard, you know, claim those are barn burners, right? They'll burn down a rig. I mean, they're super yeah. hot. They're super high pressure, Yeah, real rich gas. And so, you know, it's another thing you got to consider. It's a tough place to actually operate in as well, right? So mm-hmm. um, it takes a bit of a proficiency and Again, that's probably back to the tight knit type of community that that market is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So moving forward, I mean, so you went to school, you know, I've been in the oil field and now you're taking sort of a leap of faith and and getting back into, you know, back to school. Yeah. So getting your MBA, I mean, I applaud you for that. I think that's, that speaks a lot of, of your initiative and willingness to sacrifice time with family, even work. Um, tell, you know, tell me a little bit about your thought behind it and, and sort of what really made you decide to, to go back to school? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And I've actually often asked myself that same question. <laughs> right. So, you know, I have a wife and three kids, three little kids at the house of an nice. eight year old, a four about to be five and a one about to be two. So this was a commitment. It was definitely a group and family decision we all made yep. together. My wife right now is actually getting her master's as well. Wow. Congrats, man. So this is a lot, it's a lot going on. Right. And, um, <laughs> It was a very well, thoroughly thought out family decision. And in the end, I think it's just one of those things where you you look at your and you evaluate your experience and what you want to do, where you want to go. And you try and figure out what the gaps are and how you get there, right? For me personally, it had a lot to do with the school and the institution itself, Texas A&M, Mays Business School being a 
a really prominent and very well-renowned university and institution and business school. Yeah. But I'm also generational. So my mom, my dad, my sister, my uncles and aunts, I've got a lot of family, a lot of friends that went to Texas A&M. And so that was a part of it. The other part was just how do I evolve? How do I grow as a leader? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and in this industry and in really any industry, I think as a leader, you know, you got to have a very strong foundational set of, you know, understanding and values. And that's really what this is all about for me. It's, you know, I'm a qualitative guy, I'm a sales guy, so I can, I can speak pretty well. I feel confident there. And my articulation and communication ability is pretty strong, but yeah. from a quantitative standpoint, from a finance and accounting and different things, right. That are not necessarily in our day-to-day jobs, right? but that I feel like as you grow and you progress in this industry or in any industry, again, you need to know, you need yes. to know those as leaders and especially executive leadership, because that's really what it's all about. It's, you know, how do you lead with good, strong foundational beliefs and change your organization from a cultural standpoint? How do you try and be an ambassador for change positively? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how do you create value for your organization while you're doing that? You Absolutely. Know, how do you create real financial value? Yeah. So. No, that's that's huge, man. And and again, that sounds like you got a busy household. You're, you know, the wife's going back to school and you know, I've got two kids. Actually, my daughter's four and a half and my son's gonna be two in November. So and similarly to you, I'm, I'm going back to school starting in July. But for you, how long have you been in the program? So now? one year. Okay. So we have the summer off now. Oh which, wow! Thank, thank God. Summer break. Yeah, yeah summer break. Dad. Oh man, it's it's <laughs> it's golf and beers at six o'clock every day. No. Um, <laughs> nice. No, it's a very well needed break. I but, bet. Uh, so a whole year, and then I got one more, and we'll be done next May. Holy smoke! So. Yeah. Just briefly, I mean, are you like when, from the time you get home, are you hitting the books till like midnight? Like, how many hours are you? Yeah, so in? you know, let's not count the spring because this has been a really weird spring. Yeah, good um, point. But in the fall, yeah, it's a very intense schedule. So it's every other weekend. It's eight-hour days, Friday and Saturday. So it's pretty intense. You're at City Center right over here next to the Cannon. So shout yeah. out to the Cannon in City go. Center, Mays Business School. Yeah. Um, it's nine to four, four thirty. It's nine to four thirty Friday and Saturday every other weekend, wow. um, and so you're gone pretty much six days because of work and and then school every other week, right? Yeah. So it's like a second job, right? That's the way I consider it. And I think if you want to do well, you need to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's definitely people who do these types of programs and they just get by to maybe get a certificate or a degree or whatever else. Yeah. You just don't really get the whole value out of it if you do it that way. Yeah. And I think you get out what you put in for sure. So hundred percent, you know, to answer your question after the clock, you know, you, you punch the clock on work, you're, you got to start your second job right? and it's constant, you know, you have deliverables that are due every week, every other day, every couple of days. And so it's, it's a lot. That's intense, man. Yeah. I, uh, I give it up to you, but certainly it'll be well worth it. And the return on that investment will be huge. Exactly. So no, that's awesome, man. So well, I was going to ask you why NN, but you already described that. So, I mean, what would you tell the folks that are out there that are, are maybe on the fence? And um, obviously there's a financial perspective, but, you know, just, you know, going and pursuing that, I mean, would you look at it any differently than what you've told me? Or, or what would you tell folks that are out there that are considering it just because the state of the industry? Or, I mean, do you have any advice for someone out there? I, I do. I mean, for me personally, this is where I was at. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I evaluated my career, where I was, where I wanted to be and what the gaps were. Yeah. 
And so this to me was a solution to help fill those gaps and try, try and build on, you know, and expand on my experiences and where I wanted to go. But I don't, I don't care if it's an MBA or it's any sort of secondary formal education or internally at your own organization. I think it's extremely valuable and important, right? And I say yeah. it because of this. In the industry that we're in, everything is changing right now. Everything is transforming. All of us that are still fortunate to be able to have our positions or, or employment. I mean, we really need to be going above and beyond outside of our current scopes or roles or responsibilities to expand our knowledge base. Yeah. And whether that be you're a sales guy and you go to rigs and you count pipe and you help with inventory or you want to go run a break or whatever you may want to do. If you're a production guy and you're going to go rig up installations, you're just becoming more knowledgeable and more powerful for not only yourself, but your organization yeah. and the customers, right? Yeah. I mean, for the, for the customer base as well. I just encourage everyone, you know, to try and find something that's going to stretch them a little bit. It's mm -hmm. going to make them better. Yes. You know, and whether that be a formal master's of business or, you know, some sort of a professional project management certificate or degree or, or even short little sprint types of courses online, whatever it is. Yeah. Find that thing and make yourself better. Yeah. Because honestly, the people who are left now are the ones that are going to have to kind of carry on, right? We're going to sure. carry the torch and we've got to be the best that we can as a collective workforce in the industry. And I think that's what... I think that's what our executive leadership at all of our various respective companies are looking for, right? Um, yeah, big time. So, yeah, formal institutions are not just find something that will challenge you and make you stronger yeah. and more well-rounded, right? Yeah. I've got a buddy works for a drilling contractor in the South and Lower 48, and he's literally helping count pipe right now, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, and yeah. he's a sales guy. He's a marketing guy, right? right? But he's making rig visits and he's making sure inventory counts look right. And, you know, drill pipe is on point. And yeah. what are our certifications looking right? Are they right? Reconciled against what we're getting invoiced, you know? So you just, you've got to do things right now, I think in our, in our space, in our industry that are outside of the norm Yes, for not only you to get better, but to help. Yeah, no, and, and there's certainly a lot of people out there, including myself, that are continuously wearing more hats. And, exactly. And we're having to do more for less just because of the financial struggles that we're that's all right. in. I love your point there, and I think that's going to resonate for a lot of people out there is continuously you know, working towards growth, improving your fundamentals, improving your skill set. Just because, you know, like you could be the best, you know, pipe salesman or bit salesman in the world. Well, then all of a sudden, if you're not digging, I mean, you got to now, granted, probably have a good network, but but to have those strong skills and connections within solid network of people who are also trying to advance. I mean, because, you know, guys like yourself and me, are we're, we're going to be the ones running the industry yep. in, you know, 10 plus 10 whatever years. years. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we need our people to continuously evolve and grow and have those skills to continue to make our industry better right. and, and hopefully make some change because, I mean, before this, I mean, I think a bubble in our industry was going to burst regardless that was, like COVID and, and the demand drop off was just a needle that popped the bubble. But yeah. I mean, you look at Wall Street, every oil and gas company is on a downward spiral. Right. So it was it was inevitable. And so, right. we, you know, future leaders and, and you're obviously in a role now as a leader. We need to figure out how to how to conduct business a little bit more effectively and yeah and, and if we want to survive i think it's that type of mentality and approach and then you know more of an innovative type of an approach to this right so yeah. it's what can we do now but then also what can we do in the in the near and 
and mid and long-term future, right? Because I think another thing that we all have to recognize and acknowledge is what are we leaving behind for our kids and our kids, you know, our kids' kids, right? Grandkids, because, you know, the environmental impact, greenhouse gas emissions, things like that, those are real. You know, you drive around South Texas, West Texas, you see flaring going on everywhere. It's not necessarily a pretty sight, right? And so it's how do we become better now and what we can do currently, individually, organizationally, I think everyone's kind of depending on us as these, you know, these newer nuanced types of leaders in our roles today. Yeah. They're depending on us, you know, to, sure. to pick up that ball and run with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's what we have to do. I think we really have to try and be transformational in our thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of relating to what we're doing internally at our organization and company now is, is how do we change for the better for not only us, but our customers which will ultimately impact, you know, the the benefit and mutually beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. Well, well, let's pivot there then. I mean, so from what I've noticed and, and now just the dealings that I've had with you guys with regards to, you know, you guys sponsoring us and stuff like that is you guys have made a strong push on your social media marketing. So how, I mean, how involved are you with that? Or, or what, what have you seen with regards to, because you guys have a unique way of marketing now, whereas historically was a lot different, just like everyone else. Sure. So can you touch a little bit about that? Yeah, no, it's, it, this is again, transformational, right? So we are really trying to change our thinking and our approach to all facets, including our marketing campaigns and how we're launching products. So yeah, our, our marketing director, shout out Tony Manzur. He's awesome. Yeah. He's the one that usually posts these things on LinkedIn and our links and our websites and stuff like this. And it's it's primarily for for him and his team that have really helped shape that type of new platform. But it's something that we engaged in in conversation about a year ago, and we just had to figure out a plan on how to do it effectively. Yeah. But I totally agree. Prior to this, we just weren't very effective at it, right? Sure. And I'll tell you, I, I'm on LinkedIn probably every day or every other day in the evenings or in the early morning, just trying to look at articles and trade publications and what's the latest and you know newest trend or news, right? Yeah. Everybody's always posting something on there. So you can gain a lot of information from the customers or from com- competitors yeah. industry-wide. There was a particular company out of the Permian, and I, I've actually had the opportunity to meet the owner, the CEO. Okay. And it's a service company. And so this guy literally has a roundtable discussion every single morning, which I'm sure is virtual now. Sure, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But, but they have this conversation where they all have had a picture taken the day before okay. in the field operationally, right? Interesting. So it's a, it's a field operations picture, and they'll post that picture for wherever they were that day, which... He decides which is the best picture. They kind of had maybe a little talk or vote on it. No kidding. Huh. And then they add a caption, right? And so it's literally a post from him or the organization every single day. Wow. And this is a free platform, right? LinkedIn is oh, a, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's free. So I truly believe after conversations with him, and I've had two uh, direct conversations about this t- particular type of marketing, Yeah, where he was like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. Thousands and thousands of hits, thousands of... And even if you just get one inquiry out of it, it's yeah. free. Right. It, That's it, the thing that it, people... Yeah. It literally it's takes so underpriced. 10 to 15 minutes out of your day. Yeah. It's a phone picture. You know, it's, it's a, a photo captured on your iPhone yeah. sent back into him where you all are <laughs> literally kick off the meeting and you say, all right, which one do we want to post today? Yeah. That it's, is cool. It's an innovative idea. It's super simple. Yeah. It doesn't take much effort. But he really believed that it was a pretty impactful type of free marketing, right? Yep. 
So we engaged in this conversation, again, six, nine, 12 months ago, realizing we needed to do something differently mm-hmm. uh, internally. And so this is, this is the result. And I think you'll just continue to see more and more of these types of efforts from Technique FMC, where we're just trying to really use all of the platforms and yep. all of the ways and different various avenues that we can get it out there. Yeah. You just want to get as much out there as you can in terms of content. Yeah. It's definitely an effective way to do it. It, it is. And, and I'm a big believer in it. And, and for a lot of the people that I deal with in my network, I've been pretty strong on LinkedIn for the last couple of years. And the amount of organic reach that I got just from putting out some things as like an experiment were phenomenal. And that's when I engaged with my company and sort of expressed my thoughts on how important it was. And, and so, and I applaud the company that I work for and they made a strong push. And so now, you know, we started a podcast, we put out content, we're doing YouTube videos and we're providing free information exactly for people to understand like where there's that we're generating value. We're utilizing us as a resource. So if you're on your, you know, you're at the rig and you're curious about how to do X, Y, Z or a certain drilling fluid topic, you can go on our YouTube page and check it out. And so it's just another differentiator, but, but again, it's so important and it's so underpriced. Like where can you do that? And it's online You can't, right? I mean, a billboard is, it's a thing of the past, right? Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, you know, there are global operators out there, major, super majors, IOCs that have no idea, probably at least at executional levels, engineers and engineering management that maybe don't even have an idea of what you're doing in terms of a brand new product. And you may already be fully deployed into the field, fully commercialized on a product or a system or solution or service. They don't even know. Right. They don't have, they have no idea. And then you put it on LinkedIn and they hit it and they're like, what the hell? I know yeah. Mike, you know, yeah, yeah. Gotta, gotta <laughs> give him a call. Yeah. So it's, it's really, I think it's an effective way and it's a really different way um, yeah. versus again, 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. So it's a, uh, I think we're definitely all engaged of trying to change the way that we roll out the information and content out there. Cool. Well, let's talk, I mean, nuts and bolts here. I production. I mentioned it at the beginning. I you actually, you know, took that verbiage from your guys' LinkedIn post. Yep. Firstly, the name with the lowercase i in front of it, I'd almost think it's an Apple product. Right. But which is cool, right? Because right. like it's it's very trendy and, and it has that kind of that appeal to like sure. i production. So yeah, talk a little bit about it and, and now's your chance. I mean, what's what's the pitch here? So the little the little i it stands for integrated, right? Okay, so cool. integrated production. And yeah. I, and I think you mentioned that in your definition, but So in late 2018, we engaged with a major operator in the Permian. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, back to transformative type of process where they had a design basis for their production facilities. And they believed based on some economics and some analysis that they were not, they weren't very effective or economical, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of best in class, they were probably at the lower end in terms of cost per barrel or cost for facilities, landed costs. So we engaged with them in this process and and we have a very longstanding relationship with this client and partner. So it wasn't new to do these types of engagements or exercises, but it was for us and for them onshore facilities wise. So what we did is we had a value engineering exercise and basically a feed study, a comparative analysis, where we looked at their current design basis and we established some goals to say, we want to reduce CapEx by 25%. We want to reduce OpEx by 15%. We want to improve cycle time or first oil by 30%. And we want to reduce all that we want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50%. Wow. 
So it's pretty, pretty, some pretty goals, lofty man. goals, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so what came of that was a stepped process where we had several engagements, you know, 10 hour days with our engineering, their engineering. And what came of it was a design basis that we all agreed on and we froze and we said, all right, let's go execute this. And so that's exactly what we did. That was in December of 18. We delivered that project in December of 19. Wow. And we hit every goal. We hit every goal that we had set up. And that was the original onset of the goals. They were a year in advance. And by the time we delivered, we not only hit every goal, we had actually surpassed some of them. More significantly, the greenhouse gas, we actually achieved greater than 50% reduction. And we did this from, you know, technologies that we already have in our portfolio, but we integrated them. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's stop on that point. Cause I mean, I know on the drilling side, if you've got goals and AFEs, nine out of 10 times, they don't necessarily get met. No. So what would you say led to being able to accomplish those, you know, overcome them and actually exceed some of them? Sure. I mean, what was the silver bullet behind that? Or or how did you guys come together as partners to be able to actually make that happen? Because that's pretty rare. It is. And, you know, I think I relate this back to the relationship that we already had with this customer and the client. Um, We have these types of relationships with these major operators out there everywhere. And even if we don't, the point is, is that we engage in a very early stage on the design that they had and how could we maybe improve that, right? Based on some pre-engineered solutions and systems that we currently have in our portfolio. And it's just simply an integration of those, as I mentioned. But, you know, to your point, those things don't often occur where you set up these goals. You want to go drill a, a well in X number of days. And that's an improvement of three days before, you know, the well that you were literally just adjacent to and, and you don't do it. Yeah. But so we truly believe it was it's going to be on a customer by customer basis so so not everyone is worst in class or best in class that was against their design basis right so where they were from point a and where we got them to in point b but the point is is we can we can establish those objectives and those goals for any customer doesn't matter and it may not be we set out to to reduce by 25 percent capex and 15 percent opex and 30 percent time to first oil. That's just a case of what we've been able to achieve so far. Even if you achieve 10% CapEx or you achieve 30% CapEx reduction, I think everyone can acknowledge those are some significant savings right now, right? Big time. But I relate it back to industry and the transformation in technology and the transformation in the process and the operational execution of these projects. So if you look at a well that was drilled in 2011, where I was in a box-on-box rig with no automated equipment, mm-hmm. take that same exact well, you go put an automated rig on that same exact well, do you actually drill it in six months like we did or do you drill it in you know 90 days? Right. So that's really the difference. It's, again, I think related back to drilling went through this transformation of evolution and technology. Mm-hmm. I think completions over the last five years has gone through that same type of process where you weren't using big, heavy iron for monolines and, you know, flexibles and different things that we actually currently have within our technology and our completions division now. Yeah. But now we do. The customers are seeing significant time savings on those things. Those cycle times between wells and frack progs, they're significantly coming down. They're reducing in their days on pad, right? Yeah. It's the same exact thing for the production space. That's all we're doing. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're trying to integrate technologies that we have. We're looking at the current process of operations of what they're doing, how they're doing it, what their design is for the actual hardware. And then we're literally just saying, well, this is what we would do. 
let's set some goals up and, and hold us accountable to yeah. those objectives, right? For sure. One of the biggest things I think is we, we engaged from a market study and voice of customer engagements, not just with this customer, but all customers, because we've talked to a lot of the marketplace about this. What are the main problems they're seeing? You know, rapid decline curves in mm -hmm. production. Initial production of a 3,000 barrel BOE per day well that IPs is not that in six months. Right. 1,500 maybe. For sure. It's very difficult to forecast profitability when oil goes from 60 in January or 55 <laughs> in January to, you know, in March it's, you know, 30, 25. And in May or April, it's negative 30. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you, how do you build a financial or, or profit model on that? It's very hard, very difficult. Oh, shit, yeah. And then the HSE exposure. I think, you know, you've probably been to the Permian quite a bit. A lot of the <laughs> listeners have. I don't like driving on roads when I go to the Permian. Right. You know, when you go to location from your shop, you buckle up, Yeah. you know, because it's, it's hairy out there, man. So a lot of the customers, they're asking us, how do we get people off the roads? Yeah. How do we get people off location as fee as most feasible as possible, right? So unmanned operations, reducing that human capital risk. And then finally, the greenhouse gas emissions. It's a long-term effect. What the you and I may never experience that 20, 30, 40 years from now, but our yeah. kids and our kids' kids may. Right. And so those are the four key elements and problems and pain points that the industry was telling us we needed to help solve. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is this is the solution, right? From a production space perspective this is the solution so man that's huge specific to that project i mean we literally removed every oil and water tank off that entire location there's not a single tank on that central processing facility wow so it's pretty pretty innovative right yeah and those are the types of things that we're able to do and they're pre-engineered solutions a lot of it's standard so there's not a ton of ex extra cost associated yeah but it's integrated and innovative type of way of, of doing it no that's huge man that's i applaud you guys that that sounds exciting and I mean, I'm not in the production world, but I can certainly see the value. And so I'm curious, I mean, would you say, like, if you were to look at the pie of, of people producing wells, I mean, are half doing stuff like this or a quarter? Oh. I mean, how much more room for improvement is there? Or is it is it a dynamic? No, thing? you know, honestly, the players that are doing what we were doing or are doing, we are doing, it's very, very few that are capable of integrating an end-to-end -end type of solution where it goes from engineering and a comparative analysis and a feed study, if you will, all the way through to delivery, installation, commissioning, and startup, right? So it's a turnkey kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. We literally not only design it, but then we'll go procure it, construct it, build it, manufacture it, deliver it to location. There's not a lot of companies that can do that. And most of the operators are doing it in a bit of an internal type of project management for their big mid central processing facilities and their, their production facilities. Yeah. So they'll hire someone to do the engineering. Then they'll hire another company to do the manufacturing of the skids and the fabrication and that kind of stuff. I got you. They'll have to manage themselves, the construction aspect of the pad. And then they'll have to have some other third party do the actual installation of all the hardware and the equipment. One of the biggest things that's the from an end-to-end -end integration and really where the transformation of our space is going is in digital. Yeah. Right. So again, back to drilling, back to completions, now into production. How do you manage all these assets? And so that's another technology that we already have and have had for years in our portfolio on the subsea side. Mm -hmm. And this is really a commercial model that we're bringing from subsea where this end-to-end -end and digital type of platform, this fully integrated type of solution 
it's an offshore subsea type of solution yeah. that we're now just scoping and making more applicable and making more economic for onshore. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, good for you guys, man. Just to see the opportunity there and capitalize on it. And yeah. That's exciting stuff. So before we get more on the personal side of things here, because I want to respect your time, we're close to an hour, but I mean, you know, you've been in sales. Now you're more of a leader in sales. What would you say you like most about your current role? Oh man, you know, I've always just said, and this is for the folks that have worked for me, work for me currently, or I've worked with in the past in any role. It's, I just, I constantly am trying personally and I encourage those around me to, you always need to be trying to create value, Mm -hmm. right? You got to try and create value. The way that I've created value in the past is maybe I create direct revenue and sales generation, right? From a a sales representative or a, a sales leader, even of a small team. When you get into these more kind of administrative roles that you're not necessarily directly engaging with the customers until it becomes, you know, a more evolved conversation. When you're leading larger groups of of sales and commercial front end people, I think that's the biggest message is just constantly be trying to create value. And how I can personally do that for them now is through mentorship, through training, through trying to really encourage and leverage my experiences and really just trying to be fair, right? Obviously we're in a very challenging market right now. So it's, you know, from a sales perspective, it's tough out there, man. Yeah. And how do you manage that? How do you kind of walk them through, you know, messaging to the external market, messaging to the internal customers and management? These are all things that I think you, you have to be aware of. So you, you lead with the premise that fair, accountable, right? You got to have accountability yeah. personally and for your teams. But that's the biggest thing is I think I've always really taken a lot of pride in watching someone grow from individual contributor to another leader. Yeah. Right. I find that to be my most gratifying piece of what I do as a leader, as a manager Good is for to, you, man. to watch somebody go from working for me to either, you know, leading another team, maybe even being in my equivalent role at a different organization. I applaud that. Yeah. I've, I've had buddies who've worked for me in the past that are now you know, at my level or above or in sales management or leadership or operational management. Yeah. And man, I pat them on the back. I mean, you just keep going, bud. Yeah. You know, you could be my boss anytime. So yeah. that's probably the most gratifying I find. Good for you, man. It's cool to hear that because historically, especially in my experience, you get a lot of the, the folks that are in leadership roles or management roles. They like to keep you in your role. I've had that boss. Yeah. I think everybody has, right? <laughs> right. And especially when I was on a drilling rig. He was on the rig. Yeah, That's yeah. the guy I had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if, if folks can dissolve their ego a little bit and realize like you're not going to advance in your career unless the, you're taking someone else's right. role. But in order for you to take someone else's role, you need to have someone behind you take your role. Right. And so like, that's always one thing that I do, you know, within my job is like, I don't, I don't have a lot of direct rapports, but if I see someone that's coming in, in my role, that's maybe a junior account manager or someone, I try and teach them everything that I can to make sure that they evolve and they continue to progress. And I expect the same from my manager. I mean, if, if I'm not doing things that sort of allow me to reach sort of and do things beyond my scope of work typically then how do you grow right yeah. and everyone's trying to climb the ladder right some more than others but yeah i love to hear that especially as you know a young executive like yourself and, and leading people is really 
wanting and having that desire to see people evolve and, and become leaders. Like that's right. what a true leader is all about is right. creating other leaders. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I live with a simple philosophy when I'm recruiting, I'm hiring, I'm looking for personnel. I'm trying to build a team, Yeah, you know, because I think that's a really important part of leadership is how do you build a team that can, that can take on the responsibility of what the team's goals and objectives are and accomplishing the mission you got to have really strong people and i think the way that i've always tried to find those strong people is trying to find someone who could potentially take my job for sure right in yeah. time how do we get a team full of people and I, you know i pride myself on work ethic and again the same types of principles and and ethics that go into it and so if i can have a team of guys that i feel like or or women and women for that matter are really from a diversity standpoint i've some of my top performers right now are women Awesome. Right. And yeah, so that's huge. it's super important that you have a team full of people that you feel like at any given point in the future are capable of taking on your leadership role. And yeah, man, I've had that. I've had, you know, five, four, five, six people who are now in mid to senior level management roles that are just excelling as well. And I think yeah, I look back at the times when they were on my team and they performed very well. So that was, yeah. uh, that's the goal. Well, that speaks a lot about you and your character and in who you are as a leader, man. So I commend you for that. So I want to, again, switch gears here before we sign off. But, you know, you talked a little bit about working out before we got going here. So from, you know, the time you get up to the time you go to bed, aside from work, do you have any daily habits or routines for that, sure. that, like you said, help you decompress, unplug, recharge? I mean, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, for me, it is exercise. It is physical activity. It's working out, you know, yep. and I, I don't care if you're a runner or if you are a, you know, you, you lift weights, you're a CrossFitter. I'm not a CrossFitter. Okay. <laughs> you won't see me posting my, no. uh, my meals or workouts, <laughs> but, uh, well, CrossFit's, uh, in, it's in, in some heat right now. I, I, well, like well just they on, are in from heat. A business they are in heat. I heard about that. Glass I'm glad I'm not associated. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, you know, I applaud those folks. I could, I don't think I could go do that. Sure. I lift, I'll do a bench press set and then stand there for five minutes and catch my breath. There you <laughs> they, go. They don't do that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but funny, no, man. the, the routine is very simple. I mean, I feel like mental health, especially right now mm -hmm. and anybody, it's not just an oil and gas. It's not just if you're employed or you're not employed, obviously mental health is vital yeah. right? to your, your professional health and your professional success. Oh, man, I your, couldn't agree more. And I believe from my perspective and my experience, my mental health is best when I am physically healthy as well. Right. Yep. So yeah, I try and exercise, you know, lift weights or work out four to five, sometimes six days a week. Just depends on what the kids and the family and my wife will allow me to do. I right. guess that's a great answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you know, with the lockdown and everything of COVID-19 couldn't go to a gym. Right. right. So we went back to basics and doing push-ups and sit-ups. Oh, yeah. You got, you know, a four-year-old and a one-year-old sitting on your back while you're trying to get a push-up in. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I truly believe that part of my achievements have been related to how I try and stay physically active, mm -hmm. i.e. mentally active and healthy with that regard. Right. Perfect. In this industry, it's extremely competitive. It's extremely stressful. Right. Yep. Most often, even in a good market, it's stressful. Oh yeah, because you you may not be able to meet a delivery, right? You may not be meeting the expectations of a customer. You may have so much work that you're screwing up on some of it, while some of it is is you're you're, you're executing well. But regardless, whether it be in a downturn or a boom or a bust, 
it's an extremely stressful industry. I think it'll always remain that way because of the intensity and in the environment in which we're operating, yep. the expectations that our customers and, and we have of ourselves. So I find that decompression, mental health from the way that I exercise and the diet that yep. I, I try and maintain. Yeah. Those are the ways I, I mentally decompress. And then family, kids, you know. Of course. Golf courses never shut down. Right. During COVID. Yeah. Gyms did. Yeah. yeah. So the eight-year-old was driving me around on a golf course probably <laughs> three days a week at, you know, 536 o'clock in the evening. So yeah. it's it pretty cool. Awesome. No, that I can identify with you, you know, from the health and fitness perspective. That's something that myself... I've really prioritized in, in my life, basically growing up playing football, basketball, baseball, you know, I'm certainly the exercise routine now is different than it was years ago, but, but having, I mean, for me, it's, it's as a human, if we want to perform at a high level, we can't eat like crap. Nope. We, we can't, you know, we can't beat ourselves down and then expect to mentally and even physically. I mean, it's, you're exerting energy if whether you're in meetings or engaging with people i mean constantly going you you have to i mean of course we adapt but the stronger we are as you know as humans right. and, and, and individuals right. you know whether it's you know your heart and your kidneys and your like everything if it's firing all in all cylinders right. you're going to be able to perform and execute at a high level and you're going to be able to take on more stress because right. working out and everything is, is a stress to the body. But, sure. but the more that you can kind of prepare yourself for game time, yes. which is what I like to call it, you know, at work and engaging with customers and yep. it's an intense environment. I feel like you're going to have a sustained level of performance right. and that's what it's all about. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, mental health, mental sharpness and focus, I believe has a direct correlation to physical oh, health, for sure. physical focus, physical sharpness. Right. So yeah. I think if you can hone those two things in, I encourage everyone to do that. I really do. I, I think it's been a huge part of my life that's helped me to get to where I am is just trying not only to use it as a decompression way to to get away from work for that hour or a day or whatever, although that doesn't always happen. For sure. But it has really helped me to stay mentally focused and sharp when, like you said, it's game time. Right. Yeah. So that's a that's a big deal, man. Yeah. Huge deal. Big time. All right. Well, one last question I had before we sign out here. Is there anything, I mean, you've talked about yourself and, and obviously in work and stuff like that, but is there anything about yourself that not many people know about? I mean, whether it's any interesting hobbies or any little secrets or any quirks about yourself. I mean, any anything kind of unique you can throw out there hmm. that kind of maybe someone can relate to? Man, yeah. So I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to this. If you look up my handicap, it says I'm a 12. Okay. <laughs> I'm more like a 22. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, not really, man. You know, I'm a pretty open book. I just really appreciate what we're going through right now. I think you got to take the good times as much as you can with the bad times, right? So this is a very challenging point in our careers and in our industry. Yeah. I just think, you know, back to what we were referring to, it's just we've got to We've got to stay resilient. We've got to stay strong. We'll get through this. And yeah, man, we'll all be better because of it. Absolutely. Well, before we close out here, I want to take a few minutes to talk about some house cleaning stuff here and certainly take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. 
but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thanks. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, we're back at it. Come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. You guys are doing some phenomenal stuff. I'm excited for you and to see you grow and, and you know wrap up school and continue to crush it, man. So what's the best way for people to reach out to you or to get to know more about iProduction and what the, you know what you guys are doing? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn, man. It's D-O-W-D-Y, Michael Dowdy. Perfect. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes yeah, so that way people can just click on it. For and sure. My contact there. details are in there and then I can also just reach directly back out. But Perfect. Yeah, I appreciate you having us on, man. This, is yeah. a, this has been fun. Well, thank you guys for supporting OGGN. It's It's been a great relationship and hopefully we continue to evolve. And Awesome. Appreciate everyone else there listening. And always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.